I actually fixed our dryer recently. Did you? I did. First appliance I've ever fixed. Yeah. It might be the first thing I've ever fixed. What was wrong with it? The uh, Something about the control panel, was, was some, some screws or plastic pieces inside the control panel were, were busted. And so the, the buttons that turn it on and then start the cycle yeah. had both fallen down inside there. And so I took off the top yeah. and accessed the control panel uh-huh. and then was able to figure out a way to you were in the bowels of that machine i was yeah i was in the bowel. that that's the second time i've been in the bowels of that machine i also had to when we first got it the uh the vent had the, the part that's up up in there up inside of the i guess it's down in there because it's it's on the bottom right. beneath the drum it just wasn't attached. i gotta say people listening to this at home are probably just like riveting <laughs> well thankfully it was mostly screws instead of rivets that would have been more difficult oh. Welcome to Deutero Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me, as always, is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. I'm trying to trying to keep it lively. Good. Because once we start talking Bible, it gets very like NPR. And I've noticed like going back and listening, all the liveliness is up front, and then it like just it kind of just tapers off, slowly tapers off. So kind of like NPR's truthiness. Oh, and uh, so we are on episode forty. Hmm. I don't believe you. You don't believe me? Well, that would be... I mean, if you would happen to look at Apple Podcasts at how many ones podcasts I mean, we've, I, we've okay, posted... Okay, you, you said it confidently. I'm sorry. I believe you then. I believe you. Is right. it 40? Well, it depends on if one is counted twice or not. So it might be 39. It might be 40. Okay. But then overall, we would have to add like 14 to that. So well, in my really defense, the only reason I don't believe you is because you've like shirked any responsibilities in like the last two weeks. So. I don't think I have. You don't think so? No, I don't think I okay. have. Okay. Well, anyhow. I disagree with that assessment. Okay. So we're episode 40 total. It, okay. Let's face it. Numbers aren't my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a language arts teacher. Exactly. Okay. Would it be easier if we counted in Roman numerals? You know, it might be. Because that's technically letters. Okay, so I, I think that we are, if we are not at... <laughs> what's, what's Roman numeral 40, Justin? Roman numeral 40 would be... <laughs> is it just... X, L. Oh, is it? Oh, very good. <laughs> but I, I think that we're more at maybe X, 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 I, X. Okay. <laughs> All right, what am I, where are we at here? Okay, so episode 40. What are the other things we usually say? Like, uh, share, subscribe. We'll go ahead and like, share, subscribe friend. on all your uh, normal podcasting applications. I've been, I've been telling friends. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, and then most importantly, tell a friend, which, yeah, I've been telling friends. You're telling yeah, friends. I've been telling friends. I, I see the numbers continue to slowly creep up. So, you know. I actually talked to somebody recently who listens on Podbean. Podbean, which I've never listened on Podbean, so yeah. shout out to everyone listening on Podbean itself. I wouldn't have going kn- straight to the source. I wouldn't have known that was an application until we tried to start. Well, until we started podcasting, 
Yeah, I, had, so. I hadn't heard of it. So credit credit to you for figuring out the old Podbean and situation. Then, as always, also please go over to our other podcasting, at, uh, our other channel, the Allensville Church of Christ podcast, where you can get a weekly sermon. We are going to post a couple today because uh, we're a little bit behind to include one from you this morning, yep. which I must say, I, well, okay, before I pay you a compliment, did you figure out what we're talking about yet tonight? Well, I, said, I told you it was a choose-your-own-adventure, so really the, the, the burden is on you. The burden's on me? The burden's on you, Byron. Okay, well, I'm just going to This go is a s- listener experience. Well, I'm just going to say that I really enjoyed your sermon today. Thank you. And we had some good conversation after church about it, so. All right, well, we can certainly go with that because the, the, other, the other podcasts that I've got on deck... It can. It's not really time sensitive, mm-hmm. so maybe we should strike while the iron's hot. Okay, so we're going to discuss your sermon topic from this, this morning, right? And so even if people go over to the Allensville Church of Christ podcast and listen to it any time that we we actually discuss it, of course it's different than just listening to me right. alone, and it could easily go in a somewhat different direction. It's also, I, I think that it's kind of cool when we do that because. I think it gives a gives an idea of what Allensville is really like and, and, w- and what we're about because we actually didn't leave, uh, my family and I didn't leave the church today until one o'clock. Yeah. <clears throat> we were, we were there talking to somebody until, until mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And I mean, nobody else was in the building at that point, but it's, it's just such a, a normal thing for, for people to linger around talking sometimes about serious topics, sometimes I mean, it just runs the gamut. Sometimes we're just assembling softball teams. Which we also did today, and that's that's very important. It's, right. it's an aspect of community, I think, and fellowship, and all sorts of good things like that. Well, I, I, I've certainly done that, too, where I prepare a sermon, but then we go on, to, or vice versa. We have a Deuterocanons in that turns into a sermon, and I think both of those have their utility because, I mean, you know, where two or more are gathered, so on and so forth, two heads are better than one. Just more opportunity to, to to dig into it and then get somebody else's perspective, and, and maybe even after the sermon, after the sermon might also be better too because at right like you present a topic, it stimulates some thought, and then we have a chance to dig into it a little bit further. Right. I guess the only downside of that is you also wish you could turn around and go do the sermon again just to <laughs> add, <laughs> add that little bit. So, uh, have we done our due diligence as far as you know the normal business? I think we have. Yeah, I think we did. I think you told people to like, share, and subscribe. I guess we need to mention that we're in my dining room today. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice change of scenery. Not that I have anything uh, negative to say about the Deutero Cave, but the Deutero Cave is it's not a cave right now. It's like a furnace because the AC is out up there. So if there's any echoiness in the background, uh, that's why. I don't uh, know. At least in the headphones, this is the best it's ever sounded. It's that okay. I guess I I feel like I should take offense to that. No, it just it's it's great, good, I, I nice warm <laughs> acoustics here. You just want to do it down here every week? I don't know, maybe, but it's nice to have a dedicated Deutero cave. Yeah, I don't think that'll fly down yeah, here. Yeah, probably every week. not. Probably not. Okay, so are we ready? We're ready. All right, so time to talk. All right, so the the sermon today. I guess you could say that the title was, and now you know the rest of the story. I started off with talking about Paul Harvey, whom many of us remember and, and love. I'm that, ashamed to say I don't, I'm not familiar with Paul Harvey. Oh, man, serious. You're a child of the 80s and the 90s, and yeah. you don't remember Paul Harvey. I'll have to do some YouTubing or something on him. 
Yeah, yeah, d- definitely. He was on between whatever the morning show was in Louisville and then Rush Limbaugh, who came on at noon. Uh-huh. You know, just in that, that little gap between, well, I guess the, yeah, the morning show and then the, the 12 o'clock news. Yeah. Which was before Maha Rushi, as he was known occasionally. Uh-huh. Did you ever listen to him? Rush Limbaugh? Rush Limbaugh, yeah. My, my parents did or my dad did, so, yeah. you know, I was probably like in the car when he was on, but I, I never listened to him myself. See, so I, I was homeschooled. And mom started listening to him every day starting in, I want to say 1991. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was 91. It might have been, <clears throat> it might have been early 92, but it was uh, in the lead up to the 92 election. Right. And yeah, as we were doing schoolwork, it would be playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that I remember everything or understood everything, but it did start to, you know, it, it laid a foundation. Yeah you know, for, for being aware of things happening right in the world. Well, and that's, I mean, kind of his, uh, claim to fame is that he, he, he took AM radio and, and made it, I don't know, I almost want to say a weapon. He made, he gave it utility maybe in for, as far as getting a message out there. Cause it was otherwise not, it was, it was kind of dying off, I think, wasn't it? Well, he, he was, he was certainly a populist voice. Right. And, and that, that was, that was uncommon then the things he, he was talking about, uh, ran counter to prevailing media narratives. Right. And yeah, so I, I think that, that he was, I think he, he was, he was a good, good fella. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so started off with Paul Harvey because he had this thing where he would tell the rest of the story where he would, he would talk about, uh, he, like he would tell a story. He was a great storyteller. He would tell a story about somebody famous that, uh, but, the story was was not part of what people typically would know, and sometimes it was something poignant, sometimes serious, sometimes you know heartwarming. And then at the end, he would re- reveal who it was, and then he would say, "And now you know the rest of the story." Yeah, you really got to go back and, yeah. and listen to some Paul Harvey. I mean, it's it's just good stuff. Yeah, he he even had a uh, a really prophetic monologue talking about maybe all the way back in the sixties or seventies, how he thought that America might go down eventually, you know, and not from attack from the outside, but from decay within. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a, and a lot of the things that he, he said are pretty, pretty well on point. Right. So, yeah. So the point I was trying to make this morning is that, that we as Christians need to know the rest of the story. And so, yeah, three scriptures that we, that I, that we looked at to, to try to make that clear and uh, so I, I don't know. So do you want to jump into the scriptures right now? Or, you know, you mentioned that your family talked about it. But I guess if, if we start with what your family talked about, it's maybe won't make sense without the context of what the scriptures say. Yeah, I, I think we start with the scriptures. And I, yeah, certainly I've got I've got thoughts. Awesome. So uh, John chapter eight was the first place that we we went. Yeah. And, and this is. um <clears throat> The, the section right at the beginning of, of John chapter 8, where we have the, the woman caught in adultery. And this is something that I didn't address this morning, but th- there's, a, there's a footnote about at, it at the start of this passage. Original manuscripts and all that? Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a similar footnote. 
Yeah. In fact, my whole like verses one through whatever that is. 11. 11 are italicized. Yeah, I see that in, in, in the Bible that, that I'm using too. Um, actually, I'm using your Owen's Bible yeah. because mine got left behind at church today, which happens occasionally. So Robert Hyde, who's a friend of our church and a friend of mine and a friend of Deuterocanons, mm-hmm. since he's been on what, twice? Has he been on twice? He's been on twice. I think he's been on twice. He's got a... No, I guess technically three times because there's the time we Zoomed and then he, I think he's been that, to the... Okay, that's right. He's been to the house twice now. So he's the most prolific guest on yeah. Deuterocanons yes. so far. Man, I don't know if we should be bragging about that though, you know, because... I mean, your dad hasn't even been on once. We don't. We don't have many guests. He's been very discreet. He's very. But, hey, but that's about to change. <laughs> All of that's about to change. That and so we've got change. some things in the works that we can reveal at a later date. But but Robert has a few times shared with me a pretty compelling theory about this passage. Okay. But I didn't. I knew I wouldn't have time to get into it at church today, and it, it's kind of beside the point mm-hmm. in a way. Um. So, like, like in terms as why it's not in a, in some manuscripts. Yeah, exactly. Why it's not in the the earliest manuscripts, and why it, it really is in a different style in in the original Greek. Okay. And uh, like I dabble a little bit in Greek, but I don't know enough Greek to really go go much into that. But Robert's theory is that Matthew was basically the secretary mm-hmm. for the disciples. Okay. Which th- th- that that is an idea that's out there. Yeah, <clears throat> he was the the keeper of the state papers, so, like so, so ch- to speak. The chosen seems to latch onto that idea. Yeah, and and they they didn't pull that out of a hat. Right. That they pulled that out of some scholarship, mm-hmm. or at least church tradition. Let's yeah, say. Right. So Robert's thought is that this that it was a fragment, probably from James, the brother of John. Okay. And that perhaps, you know, maybe he was the, the only one there or the only one who wrote it down. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in the papers, so to speak, there, there was this, this fragment of writing, this, just this, this one short thing. And so it, it ended up being placed right here in the proper, in the proper place, yeah. you know, perhaps chronologically. Which James was one of the first ones martyred. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And that, that it was thought, perhaps thought that it, it belonged there in his, his brother's, his brother's book. book. Yeah. That's, I think that's pretty appropriate, actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, because like the, the, the text of it does not seem to, I don't know, when I read stuff that's extra biblical that really does not belong, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'm just fooling myself, but it, it stands out. Yeah. Like I can tell, okay, like that might be interesting, but I don't know that that belongs in the scriptures or that right. that doesn't fit in, in one way or another. This though, John 8, 1 through 11, yeah. I think it fits. Uh, man, that's, I mean, that's such an interesting thing too though, right? Because it's like, when you look at kind of, like when you go back to like the ecumenical councils and kind of what their criteria were for what remained in the canon, you know, part of it was that it had to be inspired, like somebody who knew Jesus, which... James certainly did. And because he was killed so early on, like there would have been so little to get from him. Right. And so if you have this fragment, well, where do we put it? Do we make another book that's yeah. 11 verses long? And it's clearly not a book. It clearly is just a, just a fragment. Well, that's what I'm saying because you have shorter books like with like Titus and Jude. Right. 
Jude barely fills a page. But they're at least, yeah, right? More than 11 verses. But they're, they're, they're full text. Right. And, and this isn't. So I feel like if you're going to put it somewhere, like, yeah, this or, or one of the other Johns, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. first, second, third John. Right. But, you know, cl- clearly here it's, it's narrative. Yeah, yeah. And no, so, actually, right, because those wouldn't make sense. This yeah. would make sense because this is his account of Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Right. So, so that doesn't really have any bearing on the, on the thesis but it is kind of a, and now you know the rest of the story, or at yeah. least a conjectured possible rest of the story. Right. Well, and you know, I, I think that's stuff that's, that's lacking in the church, I guess. I, I don't know if I'll even say, not even just specifically churches of Christ where, uh, I guess just like those academics, because mm-hmm. those are things that when people kind of come after the faith, that's what they're going to come after. They're going to question authorship. They're going to question timing. And we yeah. don't do enough to kind of discuss that. I've talked to you before about um, a book I read. It's called The Four Gospels, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, it, it kind of talks about, you know, which ones came first and how the other ones were developed and why Luke's different and, and you know, uh, so on and so forth, which I, I guess uh, it's not fresh enough for me to really reference it too much now. But then I'll, I'll also mention... Uh, Warner Wallace, uh, he wrote a book called uh, "Cold Case Christianity." Okay. Uh, so, kind of his claim to fame, claim to fame is he's a cold case detective for the LAPD. I want to say, and he kind of set out to. He had started out, at, so he was an atheist, and he began investigating the scriptures, but using kind of his cold case methodologies mm-hmm. to investigate it, and as a result, became a Christian. But he has a lot of good stuff too on. Um, so one of the things he'll talk about is, you know, he'll look at Acts and Luke together, which, you know, it's the same author. Mm-hmm. And he makes a really good case for the writing of Acts being far earlier, or, or is it Luke, far earlier than, than other folks will give credit for. And one of the things he points to that made a lot of sense to me is like, uh, you know, the temple was destroyed in what, whenever that was. 70 AD. 70 AD. If the book had been written after that, certainly that would have been mentioned because right. that would be like writing a book on the history of the United States now and not mentioning nine 11. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so anywho, I think all that stuff is stuff that's interesting to think about and worth discussing because, uh, like I said, that's, that's the stuff that folks are coming after when that's the, those are the things that are, that people are going to attack when they start to, you know, try to, I guess, you know, pull on the thread that is your faith. Mm-hmm. So I was originally thinking about John chapter 8 because, I mean, this is a familiar enough story, you know, the woman caught in adultery. But I, I heard, um, you know, I've heard excuses, you know, people making excuses, um, people close to me making excuses for, I mean, not, not just like, you know, messing up, but, you know, habitual, consistent. Yeah. Con- condoned sin, and I, I've I've noticed also that sometimes they they have a piece of a scripture mm-hmm. that is that they they, they latch onto, divorced of context. Yeah, it's like, but if they would recognize the rest of the story, right? It, it would make it would make quite a difference. So here, in uh, in, in this account. So uh, it, it says, uh, they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again 
in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of Mo- in, in the law Moses command, commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he wrote down, he, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. How many times have people used that expression, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, as an excuse for sin not mattering? Right. Or, 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 or to say that a particular thing can't possibly be a sin. Well, when, when you were talking about this this uh your sermon this morning it made me what 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 i kind of went back to is i mean the deuterocanons episode judgy mcjudgerton i remember that <laughs> which i believe i also preached a sermon on way back when it's the same same thing with that patch passage the idea of you know specking your neighbor's eye versus the plank in your own eye yeah like it is it's it's typically uh brought to bear when somebody's trying to avoid attention being drawn to their sin. Yeah. And that's, I mean, which is what you're getting to. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. or that's not, that's not Jesus's point. Right. But people latch onto it. They do. And, and use it completely out of context. Certainly. And then there's, there's more here. Uh, Verse nine at this. So after he, he kept on writing on the ground after he said that, Uh, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And that's another place where people just close the Bible and they latch on to that one thing, neither do I condemn you, Mm -hmm. meaning that, well, if Jesus doesn't condemn me for the for the sinful things that I do, and so you must really have a problem with you if you think that something that I'm doing is sinful mm-hmm. and that I should stop doing it. Yeah. But again, that's not the rest of the story. The rest of the story, Jesus ends that conversation with, go now and leave your life of sin. Yeah. <clears throat> Like Jesus, Jesus was, he wasn't condoning. He wasn't saying, all right, well, uh, you know, uh, just practice safe sex next time. <laughs> Cause it's not really safe if you're doing it with, you know, somebody who the Pharisees might run in on and, you know, find you all there. It's kind of awkward. Like, I'm really sorry that you were, you were embarrassed by this, you know, just go back and do your thing. You do you girl. Yeah. Well, I guess real quick too, just for further context, like like you, well, actually, sorry, you hadn't gotten to this yet. I wanted to talk about where, what the, what the Pharisees are really, what they claim to take issue with and, and kind of the, uh, 
how they're being misleading just by bringing the woman forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, so clearly there, there's some, some context there, you know, where's the dude, which, you know, my, in this Bible, I guess it'll be in that one as well. References to a couple passages, Leviticus, uh, 2010. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. And then also Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, where is it? If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. I mean, really, the emphasis is on the man in these passages. Yeah. So they're already coming from a place of of being deceptive. Right. 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 And if if they're Pharisees that are that are so so in so focused on obeying the law to the nth degree, it's like how could they how could they think they could get away with this? Right. Like I well, how how could they think they could get away with this? I mean, I I've got a word for it. Hubris. Mm. It's it's pride. Yeah. It's pride. It's prideful for them to, to say or to think, oh, yeah, we'll outsmart Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we see those same things today, like well, the thing, things I, ridiculous things that I see in the news, uh, ideas that quote unquote experts throw out there. It's like, how could you possibly think that? How could you possibly say that? Just hubris, mm-hmm. thinking that they're they're smarter than everybody. Yeah. But yeah, this is so glaring that I mean, did did they did they not realize how smart Jesus was? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they did realize that he was such a such a great teacher, but he was dangerous for them. But then they still thought that somehow they were smarter, mm-hmm. and that this oh we got him now. Yeah, like like what is that? Right. What do you? Uh, I mean, I guess. Uh, what do you think? Have, when 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 we all get to heaven, I want to know what he was writing on the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I'm like, a, I just that's always my my guess. So I, I've heard a couple of thoughts, and of course, this is this is just speculation. Yeah, I think he wrote the name of the fellow who they didn't bring. Oh, really? Yeah, uh-huh. that'd be interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if I've heard some speculate that perhaps he was there in the crowd. Perhaps it was actually one of the Pharisees who seduced her. <clears throat> right. But I don't know. The, the the picture that I have, which again might not be accurate, is that it probably was a Pharisee who seduced her or I mean, she, she could have been a prostitute, mm-hmm. you know, and and he solicited her services and 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 they you know they went in and got her and then maybe he wasn't there so that she couldn't say oh look there he is right there but yeah i i think maybe jesus wrote the dude's name but he yeah. did he did write twice he stooped down and he wrote and then he he then he said the bit about you know let he who is without, without sin cast the first stone mm-hmm. but then he he stooped down and and wrote again and so I, I i don't i don't know of course what he wrote but whatever he wrote, that's that's what sent them away. Yeah, you know. So 
what, whatever it was, they saw it, they understood and they got out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess something else I was thinking about, and I'm, I don't want to derail your thought process here, but this idea of the, the him not coming to condemn or, or that he also doesn't contem- condemn her. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not the first time we hear that. So like in John, John three sixteen, se- you know, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Mm-hmm. So it's not the first time we've heard that in John. So there's, yeah, this, that's a good point. And, and I guess I'm also reminded of like the Samaritan woman at the well, where he very much knew, and I, I kind of flipped back over there to make sure I'm not messing this up, but I like, I, I don't think he says the same thing, but he very much does kind of, uh, like, how does he start that conversation off? It's basically like, Hey, like, well, he asked for a drink, right? But what did he say? Uh, Wasn't there something about knowing that she she was like on her third husband or something like that? Th- that that's what that's what he got around to. Right. He didn't lead with that. Yeah. That's right. You were right when you say you have no husband. You have had the fact three is you've had five husbands. Oh, five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You know? And so but I guess this is where I, I mixed these two stories up, I think. Because he never tell he doesn't tell her to leave her life of sin, right? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to page through here. But but either way, it's like the sin is addressed, but there's no condemnation either. In fact, he yeah. he, you know, like like we've mentioned before, this is where he chooses essentially to start his ministry. Yeah, and so I think it's good to be clear about what condemnation actually means. Mm-hmm. Condemnation means death. Right. It means execution. Yeah. That that's what it is. If I say, "Hey, that's wrong." That's not condemnation. Yeah. That's saying that something's wrong. Yeah. Condemnation would be you did that wrong thing, you get to die now. Yeah. So, yeah, he he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, and that certainly is what we see with the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. That's certainly what we see with the woman caught in adultery yeah and to be able to save the world rather than condemn the world he has to tell the truth about sin right which again going back to the the conversation on judgment this is where where again definitions are important because i think folks use that idea of condemnation and judgment interchangeably Well, yes, and they conflate those two things with simply calling a sin a sin. Right. That, that, that's a horrendous conflation. Yeah. And, and again, I guess maybe just as a, re- a view of, of kind of one of the main points I had with that conversation is that um, when somebody tells you, you know, that, that you shouldn't judge them, uh, effectively what they're saying is because ultimately what they do want is they they do want your judgment. They just want you to judge what they're doing as righteous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I'm Uh, I'm okay. You're okay. Right. And so, uh, yeah. Anywho, sorry, let's get back to this. So again, the the problem and we see the problem in the text is a lack of context. Certainly. The the, the Pharisees themselves in, in the text 
ignored, like they did not bring before Jesus the full context of the sin. Right. And they themselves were igno- weren't simply ignoring that context, that physical context. They were ignoring the, the context of the scriptures that they were using to call for her execution. Mm-hmm. And then people today, probably ever since, have, have latched on to one or two statements in that larger passage and right. have pulled them out of context to excuse their own sin. So right. you have the Pharisees taking things out of context to try to kill somebody. Yeah. But then you can also have people taking similar scriptures out of context to try to say that what they're doing, God is cool with. Yeah. So there are more places that we see that in the scriptures. The, the problem of, of taking, taking things out of context, of not, not knowing the re- or ignoring the, uh, the rest of the story. And uh, one of those places is Matthew chapter 4. So this uh, this comes at the tail end of, well, you know, right at the start of Jesus's ministry, um, right before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus being tested in the wilderness. This is right after his baptism. You know, uh, the, he's baptized. The dove comes down, uh, or the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven says, "This is my Son, whom I love." With him, I am well pleased. So then we get the, the 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. And then the, uh, then, then Satan comes and the first temptation, uh, turn these bread, th- this bread to stone. But then the next one, the second temptation of Christ in this situation, uh, you want to read verses, uh, Matthew four, five through seven. Yep. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in that first temptation, uh, when, when Satan told him to turn the, bread, or the stone into bread, Jesus responded with scripture that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's like Satan was saying, okay, all right, all right. We're going to play this game. We're, we're going to quote scripture. Okay. I can play that game. Mm-hmm. I, I know that too. Yeah. Hence the, his, his reasoning, like the, the, the way he was trying to reason Jesus into jumping off the temple, like, well, okay, so you, you know the scriptures, I know the scriptures. Like, if if this is really true, if you're really the son of God, well, if you jump off, I mean, look what the scriptures say. Like, the angels are going to have to catch you. Mm-hmm. Come on, that that's what the, that's what the scriptures say. Come on, aren't we going by what the scriptures say? Yeah. We're going by what the scriptures say. Yeah. But what I found, what I found about found out about this reference of course this is he was quoting from psalm 91 mm-hmm. i think everybody ha- has a footnote to that effect yeah when we go to psalm 91 there is some fascinating context that satan intentionally left out which actually reveals the purpose for his for this temptation against jesus in the first place which man like i had never thought to turn back to psalm 91 
and and, and that's something I typically do. I, I'll, I'll do when 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 you see somebody in the New Testament, uh, you know, do a call back to the Old Testament. I'll usually flip back and you know read the scripture they're referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never done that with this one, so yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty interesting. Yeah, and like I hadn't either. Yeah. I mean, I've read Psalm ninety-one. Right. I've, I've I don't know how many. I don't know if it's dozens of times, but several, several, several times that I've read Psalm ninety-one over the years. Yeah. And and I I never, I, n- I never picked up on it. But um, unless folks uh, have already listened to this sermon over at the Allensville Church of Christ podcast, they don't know what we're talking about yet. Right. Before we go there, though, something I was thinking as you said this yeah. uh, in church this morning. So as fascinating as Psalm 91 is, I think also his his response is pretty spot on. Obviously, it's Jesus, right? Yeah. But this idea of it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in a scenario where somebody might, uh, you know, point to Scripture to use it as an excuse to sin, I mean, like— isn't that like if somebody might say, you know, if somebody tries to justify their sin by saying, you know, well, you use without sin, cast the first stone, like or or, or what? Actually, no. This 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 is what the one you were talking about. Like if somebody was to point to this and suggest that, like basically, I can sin because God's not going to let me like let my foot strike the ground. Wasn't that the the? Story? Yeah, and I and I, I I even you know and that that one has been on my mind for years because somebody close to me actually said that like that was that was the the, the literal um, justification for not again not just like making a mistake and repenting and, and learning from it and you know but a, a pattern like a, a a life of of sin yeah. This is what was quoted to to say that it's it's all okay. Like, well, well, yeah. Like, I can I can just do that because God will take care of me. See, it says He will command His angels concerning me. Right. It's like, oh, and as soon as I heard that from that person, like I I knew, like I could see what was coming because like the first thing I said was like, like don't they know who said that? Right. It's like don't you know the context like don't you know the that situation mm-hmm. you don't want to say it like that mm-hmm. like that's not what it's talking about right and but i mean also like to jesus's point here it's like uh even if that were the case like you, you don't go around creating situations to see if god will actually do what he says he's gonna do right you know yeah exactly because I mean, ultimately, like there's, I don't know, I don't know that there's anything sinful about bungee jumping. Yeah. Or jump. I mean, you jump out of planes all the time. Right. Can I say that on the air? Sure. Okay. You jump out of planes all the time. And okay, that's not putting God to the to the test. Well, I get- so it's it's not like the the sin is not the jumping. Mm-hmm. It's the sin is the testing of God. Well, right. I guess like I I almost think of like a scenario where, like like a girl goes and. Uh, picks a fight for her boyfriend to defend her honor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Like, well, you're my boyfriend. You should stick up for me. It's like, listen, don't go, don't put me to the test. Like, like, yes, I'm, I'm here to defend your honor. If somebody, uh, you know, says something wrong against you. Like, I think that's probably an appropriate role of a man. Like yeah, if somebody, if somebody bad mouthed my wife, like, yeah, like we're going to have issues, but, but also don't going look, don't look, <laughs> don't go, 
looking for situations to put me in. Right. You know, and that would never happen in a geopolitical situation either. Would it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like where one country baits another country because country a who wants to get all baity with country B knows that there's a country C that might come to its, they're like a false flag. I mean, yeah, all, all sorts of things, you yeah. know, both past and present. So anyway, I guess like what, what's my point here though? Like as the recipient of like my protection, let's say, uh, you're not doing me any favors by putting me in a situation where I have to protect you like deliberately. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's you might call it Lois Lane syndrome. Right. Sure. She but, never listened. <laughs> right. Anyways, I don't know. I don't know if that that point was well. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is also written. So, so Jesus recognizes number one. I mean that that Satan is pulling that scripture out of context, and and he has numerous th- numerous scriptures that that he can cite as to why it's out of context. Yeah, and and, that, and that's probably just the the best the best one. Yeah, and and that's a good way for us to be for like when we hear scriptures to to consider whether or not those things are spoken in context or or when we pay attention to the ideas that people have which Mm -hmm. i mean you can just i don't know sit back and and listen to colleagues speak Mm -hmm. to each other yeah and pick up on the things that people value like what people's priorities are what their assumptions are yeah and then just kind of mentally check them against the scriptures to to see whether they line up or not yeah and, and and clearly Jesus, Jesus was was doing that was doing that here. So uh, speaking of, of Psalm ninety one, I, I sort of already teased this mm-hmm. that that there's that the full context of Psalm ninety one reveals Satan's purpose in tempting Jesus in the first place. So so we're gonna go there now. Are you already there? I'm here. Okay, well, I'm not. So how about how about you? You go ahead, and uh, I mean it's not that long, so you may as well read the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, for the pestilence that stalks, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And there, there it is. Right there, in the full context of Psalm 91, We've got the two verses that Satan quoted to Jesus as the justification for for his potentially jumping off the pinnacle of the temple 
It's verses 11 and 12. But then we get to 13, and it says, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. That is fascinating. Yeah. The very next verse, and what what two animals is Satan described as in the scriptures? A lion and a serpent. A, a, devour, li- a devouring lion? Yeah, a, a lion prowling around looking for whom he may devour. Right. And then the, the great serpent. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, and it pulls that, that language from, or I mean, it's clearly an allusion to, uh, to the curse in Genesis chapter 3. Mm-hmm that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Right. It's like he was not hoping for that. Yeah. It's like, okay, so what do I got to do to not get my head crushed? Yeah. Well, if he sent, if I can get rid of him, then he can't crush my head. Mm-hmm. And it's right there in Psalm 91. Yeah. Back to back. So... Not only, I mean, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew Psalm 91. Right. Clearly. Like, even if you take away, like, the thing about Jesus being the Son of God and he knows everything, which I think some people lean into that a little bit too far. Yeah. Especially when when you consider his time on earth. Um, I I think that he he accepted certain limitations. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he accepted certain limitations. I mean, he died. That's quite a limitation. Right. It might be the, the ultimate limitation but as a rabbi of of course he would have known this jesus was constantly quoting from the psalms so in addition to like like i can just imagine jesus in that conversation listening and hearing i mean like i don't know with with things that that, that you might have memorized i mean song lyrics movie lines somebody could start the line and you could finish it. Right. I'll prove it. You're killing me. Smalls. Aha. Uh, <laughs> let's see. What else? What else? Uh, How about this one? Ready? Yeah. Emotion is my middle name. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> MXPX for those of you keeping score at home. Move to Bremerton. We will hang out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's wheel hangout. Goonies never say... Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, man. Sorry. Goonies never say die. Was it die? I mean, I should have just guessed. You sh- you, yeah, you should have you guessed. Well, but and let's think about something here, too, because as you pointed out, like he accepted certain limitations, right? So yeah. we're, I don't know, probably like day 38, 39. Is this day 40? Of oh, his- I, I would say that it's... I think that it even says that it's it's at the conclusion of the 40 days. Right. So tired so probably like sleep deprived emaciated hungry yeah like vulnerable probably at a weak a weak point probably the weakest point of his life up to this point so so we can probably look at this and and take that lesson right like the devil's the devil's always kind of you know poking the bear i assume with most Mm -hmm. of us yeah but he's he's really going to go for it when you are weakest when you are most vulnerable Mm -hmm. and so it's like what are the things that we need to make bring to bear in those situations? You know, I mean, certainly we need to rely on God, rely on the Holy Spirit. But I, I think this is also where this is where the discipline pays off. This is where the uh, the study pays off. This is where the uh, you know, like the resolve pays off because you know, 
I don't know, like like maybe he was hoping Jesus's recall of scripture wasn't going to be what it, he he wasn't going to be as sharp as he normally is because he's tired, he's hungry. Sure, you know. Yeah, and, and it is hard to recall things in those moments, but but still, like I I I, I think that probably when, when Satan said this to him, like like he he had the next line, right? Which to your point or or to my our collective point, right? Like that's why. You know, I, I had a buddy that, uh, you know, in, in, in the military will have these different events that you can do. And they're effectively these big tests. Uh, so one we have is the expert infantryman's badge. That's kind of the, the original one, I would say. Then there's also the expert field medical badge. I have both of those, by the way. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also an, an expert soldier badge now. And what they are is it's this, it's this big test, effectively, you do. Uh, for EIB, the infantryman's badge one, it's two weeks of train up and then there's a week of testing. And so you train and train and train. And it's just doing all these basic soldier tasks over and over again. And, and really what they're looking for is perfection. And it's everything mm-hmm. from taking weapons apart and putting it back together, throwing hand grenades, map reading, so on and so forth. And so, uh, but one of the events that you have in addition to all these kind of like hands-on skills is there's a road march, a 12-mile road march that you have to do with 35 mm-hmm. pounds on your back in less than three hours. And so, uh, that's, that's moving pretty good. It's pretty, yeah, it's about 15 minute pace. Um, and so, uh, anywho, it is not uncommon because there'll be a lot of people standing there at the finish line, watching people come across. And it's like, you're getting down to that three hour mark and you'll see people off in the distance and they're like, they're hurting, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll stumble across the finish line and then some of them won't make it. And so a buddy of mine was talking about watching one of these one year, standing at the finish line, watching people come across and, uh, he, he's dual military, so his wife is also in the military. So I think that's who he was talking to. Anywho, and so either way, people just barely make it, and then some people just barely don't make it. And they were discussing how unfortunate it was, you know, five five more minutes and they would have made it, right? If they'd just been a little bit quicker, they would have made it. But mm-hmm. the thing he, the point he would always make is, listen, they didn't fill that ro- this road march today. Mm-hmm. They failed it weeks ago by not getting ready for it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. I think it's some of the same thing here, where you don't know when you're going to be tested, and so you've got to do the work beforehand. Because, uh, I mean, like 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 we're saying here, he's able to finish. He's able to finish those sentences because he's like drilled it. It's it. You know, I mean, that's part of the Jewish Jewish education, right? Like, yeah, exactly. They're constantly, constantly revisiting those scriptures. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's probably something to to learn there in the work and the, the diligence we should be be putting into our study. Again, and I'm no, I'm no exception, certainly. Well, yeah, and and starting with with kids. Yeah. And I mean, th- this is a, a little bit of a, of a sidetrack, of course, but the fact that modern Western education treats memorization as if it's tantamount to child abuse. Is horrendous. Yeah. I mean, clearly, children are going to memorize things. The question is, what are they going to memorize? And in, in Jewish society, what it was was the scriptures. Yeah. And and if if we we've we've got to be doing the same thing. Our kids have got to be memorizing scriptures. Well, I, I remember when we first started homeschooling, and I, I guess this isn't scripture, but still, uh, things of utility. You know, early on in CC, one of the, in one of the cycles, they memorized the first twelve elements of the periodic table. And remember, somebody mm-hmm. saying like, well, "Why? Why does a four-year-old need to know the first twelve elements of the periodic table?" It's like they're going to need to know it eventually, right? Yeah. Like they're going to memorize. They're at that age, right? 
when you look at the trivium, the reason there's so much emphasis on uh, memorization at that age is because their their brains are purpose built for it. They're mm-hmm. going to memorize something. They might as well memorize that. Right. You know, it's the same thing here. I think the other thing, though, I want to say, too, is and kind of in the same vein, the power of song. Right. Because this line right here, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right at your right hand. Do you know that song? I don't. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but my help comes from the Lord. That's a that's a good one, right? But it's um, and I mean that's like I mean, man, like we're in Psalms, you know? Like sure, how, the, how many the, of these were songs, songs, right? All of them, <laughs> probably. I think I think all of them, probably. Like that's that's the implication here. Yeah. Or an acrostic poem, right? Was that ninety one? Which is probably also sung. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah, that's 91, isn't it? Is 91 an acrostic? Which one's the acrostic? Is that? Uh, th- there are multiple acrostics. What's the longest one in the Bible, though? I just, uh, 119. 119. Yeah. Well, there's ones and nines in that. I was close. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's even more here. So, man, the, 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 the hubris of Satan to start quoting scripture to Jesus. Yeah. Like, because like, cause that's where Jesus' mind is, is going to go now. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, all right, so he knows verse 13, which says what's going to happen to Satan. Right. But Jesus would also know verse 14, which would also give him encouragement and insight necessary in that moment. 14 through 16 says this, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yeah. It, it seems like that, that would definitely be also where Jesus' mind was going. Again, because he, he knew it so well. And so I also think that it's interesting in the context back in Matthew yeah. that th- this situation comes right after his baptism. Right where the God's voice, audible voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. So that's yeah. a clear example of, I mean, baptism is certainly calling on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Call, he will call on me and I will answer him. God not only answered in a sort of quote unquote spiritual or inner way, yeah, but it was actually out loud manifesting in the physical realm. Yeah. I will deliver him and like just that, that whole thing. Like Jesus had a very recent memory of God doing that exact thing for honoring him. Yeah. I mean, how many times does the audible voice of God show up in the scriptures? I mean, where a crowd can hear it. Right. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think, I mean, there were clearly miracles that God did in front of people. I mean, like in, in public view, like the, uh, the fire from heaven consuming, uh, the sacrifice up on up on the Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. um, the, the whole Elijah and Ahab thing, everybody could see that. Um, the, obviously, the, the Israelites saw the, the 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 Red Sea part, and they walked through on the dry ground. They saw it collapse and, and cover cover and, and uh, there's the folks in the desert that were consumed with fire after they uh, kind of like revolted. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, well, so so there there was the snakes, and then looking up at the serpent, and mm-hmm. and the snake bites being healed, or the snakes going away. There was the ground opening up and swallowing some. I think that was a Korah's rebellion. Yeah, I think that's I don't one. remember anybody being devoured by fire. That's that's the one I'm thinking. Okay, of. okay. But like, I'm trying to think if there's any example from the Old Testament of the audible voice of God, yeah, manifesting to more than one person at a time. Yeah, I mean, because I I think like when when the uh, Moses established the blood of the covenant, mm-hmm. and like all the Israelites approached the the mountain. Yeah, they, they approached, but that was all. Right, they didn't touch it. Well, right, but and, and I think like you didn't hear the. I don't know if it was the audible. Whatever they heard scared them. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. So clearly, this is God honoring Jesus. Yeah. In a very special way. Right completely in line with with these scriptures that Satan was about to throw at Jesus to try to manipulate him into sinning. So this this part, I mean again, this is just fascinating and this is what we we discussed uh I think on the car ride home. I think the neatest thing about, you know, this message that that you brought us today and and I guess just what we find here in scripture. You know, I, I had been talking to the kids this morning and kind of emphasizing how there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And uh and, and here's another example of that, where we have a story in the Bible uh, where essentially we're seeing somebody, not just anybody, the devil himself, cherry-picking and misusing Scripture. And how often does that happen? Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've talked about that before, how I, I am hesitant to, to uh, you know, speak about, you know, the Koran, let's say, because that is a... a you know, a religion, another religion scripture that I have not studied, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but at the same time, like you'll see, and, and, and I guess, and that's because I've seen so many like videos on the internet where you see non-believers point to scriptures in the Bible and use them for reasons to, you know, as a way to discredit it or say why, you know, it couldn't possibly be uh, inspired. And, and it's just like, you think about like like the slavery argument comes to mind quite a bit. In fact, I saw a video the other day where somebody's saying like, he, he basically says, so God writes this book and he gets everything wrong. Slavery, women's rights, this, that, and the other. And then, then right away the guy kind of comes back with like how obviously you don't understand the difference between uh, the slavery in the Bible versus what we typically think of, you know, in the United States, so on and so forth, right? And so uh, anyways... Like we, you see that all the time where people cherry pick scripture and use it out of context. And, and here we have an example of that, you know, in the Bible itself and how, and see how Jesus dealt with it, which I mean, ultimately comes down to, right? Like, uh, I mean, that, that's the thing, right? Is like, depending on the interaction you're having, there may not be room for them, t- for you to explain to them the context, but ultimately mm-hmm. that's, that's what's needed. Yeah. So, yeah. We, we, we've got to tell the story, Right. Right. And so going back to John chapter 8, the Pharisees were getting themselves into trouble and were trying to kill somebody to get at Jesus. Right. And they were intentionally leaving out the sto- things from the story they were telling and leaving things out from the scriptures they were referencing. And then with Satan, he's leaving scriptures out. Well, and I think more to your point too, right? Like, so folks will, they'll use, sorry, was that John 8? They will yeah. use John. So in the story in John 8, you have the Pharisees leaving 
leaving things out of the story. So, you know, thereby, you know, so it lacks context. And now people will you will cite that story out of context to, to justify. So, so they, they were using committing this, the exact same error. Right. Exactly. Right. Com- like f- joining the side of Satan and the Pharisees. Certainly. Right. And I, and, and I guess like, I don't know if we entirely, really entirely tied a bow on that. Cause your point was like, people will stop at the, he with you with was out sin cast the first stone. They'll stop there. Yeah. Then they'll stop at, uh, what does it say? Neither do I condemn then neither you. Neither do I condemn you. But the last line in this passage is go now and leave your life of sin. Right. Right. So at some point, like the sin is addressed, mm-hmm. which also was kind of my point with the whole judging McJudgerton, the plank versus the, uh, spec, mm-hmm. right. First remove the plank in your own eye. And, and then you can attend to the speck in your neighbor's eye, right? So at yeah. some point, you you can address the speck, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was a good take on that that I hadn't considered. Uh, yeah, so. Right, and, and again, so at the end of the day, sorry, what's the point I said earlier? So here we have, here we have a story in the Bible where Satan himself is taking Scripture out of context, which I think, again reemphasizes a point you've made, you know, Satan, the original deconstructionist. Yeah. Right. Yep. Redefining terms, linguistic theft, everything. Right. Yeah. Um, he can't make anything. All he can do is try to attack more, reinterpret something that that's already there. Create doubt. Yeah. That there, there's, there's nothing that is, positive in the strictest sense of the word like that like there's no creation yeah there's only destruction of that which already is right and so um the the way that i i guess the the, the challenge um or i guess the, the purpose of the, the challenge that, that i was making was that like okay so we face temptation mm-hmm and we we are surrounded by other people who face temptation yeah and so to be any good to ourselves or to anyone else we've we've got to tell the story right we've got to we've got to know the the rest of the story mm-hmm. keep things in context so that we can um rightly divide the word of truth yeah is is one of the ways that, that paul puts it yeah well i i think uh man a couple things here i'm kind of chewing on because i mean when you look at the story with the pharisees it really gives you another uh it gives you some appreciation for them being called a brood of vipers. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, which, <laughs> so I, I, I know that the translators translated the words, but I don't, I think that they could have used a term, an expression that would have more accurately translated the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, brood of a brood of vipers. So sons of snakes. Yeah. Uh, because that, that was as strong of a, as strong of a, uh, of an insult or, or a judgment, uh, well, I mean, as, as they had, I mean, they're doing the work of Satan in this story. Uh, yeah. Right. And yeah. That's, that's what you're saying. Right. Not son, sons of snakes, like sons of a snake specifically. Right. Well, I, I, I think that that's, I think that that's accurate. I, I think that, um, that that wasn't what was necessarily 
understood Mm -hmm. at the time. I don't think that the correlation would have been made to Satan, even though I think that it's apt Mm -hmm. and and accurate. Yeah. I I think it's, I mean, snakes are are unclean. Yeah. And they're sort of the uncleanest. Right. And like what's lower than a snake? Well, their offspring. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we have some insults in English mm-hmm. that are that are equivalent yeah. to that. Yeah. Um having to do with legitimacy and right, so forth. Yeah. So 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 that there's that and I guess the other thing I, I was chewing on was uh Oh man, what was the other thing I was chewing on? I should have said it when I was thinking of it. <laughs> was it something that you all were talking about in the car on the way home? No. I mean, it just kind of came to me now. Oh, you're talking about temptation. That's what it was. So so back to your point about hubris. I mean, you, you said this from the pulpit, this idea of, well, I I know what sin looks like because I'm also a sinner. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I think there's also an element of that here where, um, I, I don't know, it, it's such a catch-22, it seems like. I guess it seems like a catch-22 if you don't understand what's being said here because effectively what people will do is say is, we'll cast the first stone. Like, you can't point out my sin because you also sin. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that I can't condemn you because that's that's not my place, right? Exactly. In fact, the reason I I can identify sin is because I'm also a sinner. Yeah. Like, so I'm not coming from, I'm not, I'm not trying to come at you as somebody who's more righteous than you are. I'm coming from, I'm coming at this as somebody who also struggles with this, you know? Right. And so, um, and perhaps is, is further along in that struggle or has had, you know, there's a big difference between struggling against sin and embracing it. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, like I would say that that's a, a pretty fundamental difference between, people following Jesus mm-hmm. and people who aren't following Jesus. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's not like, well, I'm better than you, but I think that we, we could say as Christians, I'm hoping for something better than what you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm aiming at something better than what you're aiming for. Right. As flawed as I might be. Yeah. Well, in, in you know, what is it? all scriptures, God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, equipped, equipped for every good work. Right. I, I feel like sometimes folks really lack, latch onto that rebuke thing, hmm. right? And uh, fail to realize, like, like certainly that is a tool, but probably like the, the teaching is better, but then also the qualifier of in righteousness, you know? And so, um, if you're going to latch on to certain sins like that, I mean, I guess that's, and that's where it becomes a problem is if you're coming from this, from an, uh, if you're coming at it from an attitude of self-righteousness, like, uh, your rebuke is going to be misplaced. It's not going to be well received. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a lot of that comes back to you, like your point, right? The, the hubris, like realize that you're also a sinner and, and, you know, uh, I guess just like your tact or, or, or what, what was it? Uh, salt, right? The whole like flavor, your conversations with salt, with grace, mm-hmm. you know, adjust your tact to where, I mean, ultimately they receive it how they decide to receive it, but you do have some, some say in that, you know? Yeah. And, and so, so look at Jesus here in, here in John eight, because it's, it's hard. You and I both know that it's very hard to know how to deal with 
people we love who are caught yeah. in bad stuff. Right. It's like, well, okay, so we know this is bad. What do we do? Right. And I don't, I don't always have an exact answer for that, mm-hmm. but we see what Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus actually didn't say very much. Yeah. In John 8. Right. It seems like other people did most of the talking. Yeah. And he, he was able to de-escalate the situation. Yeah. He was able to, even without saying very much of anything, point out what the real problem was. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's just very impressive. Yeah. And so I think that if we, if we want to be able to have a, a positive impact on anybody struggling with sin, including ourselves, mm-hmm. we've got to try to embody what Jesus was doing. Yeah. Right. And again, that's, that, that's hard. It is. That's, that's really hard. And so I don't know, like Winston always says, if, if we knew Jesus better, we'd be more impressed. Yeah. Well, John chapter eight is pretty impressive. Right. I always think of that. Uh, I think it was from the movie Rudy. You seen the movie Rudy? I'm aware of it. Okay. I know what it's about. I know the starring character, but I've never seen it. Okay. It's, it's a pretty good movie. Although I've, I've heard it's not entirely accurate. Anyhow. It's probably not. There's a point in the story where he's talking to, I mean, because he's at Notre Dame, so he's talking to a priest. and uh, Right, and somehow, I think the, the inaccurate thing is that um, is that I don't think that Notre Dame would have permitted a hobbit to be on the football team. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's what it is. That's the inaccuracy. <laughs> no, but he's talking to the priest, and, and, I, and I, he's asking him questions. I'm pretty sure I have the right movie, but he's, he says, you know, after whatever, after 50 years in this job, I know two things. There is a God. And I'm not him. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the thing here where it's like, yeah, Jesus is impressive. <laughs> like, and yet, like, he, he expects us to be like him. Yeah. So, you know, like, or, so on the one try. hand. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it's, you know, we can't, it, okay, there is a God and I'm not him. Yes. And yet it's not an excuse. Right. Like Jesus said, be perfect mm-hmm. as as the Father is perfect. Right. So, yeah, no excuses. All right. And now you know the rest of the story. Let's pray. Yep. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and uh, we thank you for just the many lessons we continue to find in it. And I pray that you give us the strength, the resolve, the discipline to continue to investigate these scriptures and to meditate and, and to uh, talk with one another, talk with other folks about, about, uh, about, your, about your scripture, about your son, and about you. Pray that you help us to be more like Jesus. Uh, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.